morning, Doxa. It is uh, great to see you guys today. If you want to go ahead and open up your Bible to, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, this is where we're going to be camping out. If you don't have a Bible, man, we'd love to give you one um, so you can feel part of our, our family gathering like this. So you could stop by the, the welcome table on the way out, and we have some Bibles that you can grab and, and take with you. But uh, man, I hope your time in, in this Gospel has been, has been rich for you. Um, you know, we, we challenged you as we started off this, this series that's going to take us the better part of a year to look through the Gospel of Luke, to, to begin to read, to just get into the Gospel of Luke and, and, and read. And, and I think it's, it's not too far of a stretch to say that even in a church, okay, that, that there are people in this room that you haven't read through a Gospel account. And, and there's no room for shame with that. It's just like, okay, well, let's start doing that. And so I hope that as you guys have been doing that, it's been rich because it's been so good for me. I've been praying for, for all of you. I've been praying for us as a, as a church family that, that just as Luke researched and experienced and believed in the power of the gospel, that, that we would experience the gospel story in such a way that, that we could never be the same, that we would be confronted with Jesus in a way that we would just have to change and walk out of here different having encountered him. And so we're gonna continue this study today through Luke, and we're gonna encounter, as we get into Luke chapter four, we're gonna get into Jesus's first sermon. All right, and in this first sermon that he gives, he basically gives us his, his mission and his overall purpose in our world. But before we jump in, there's, there's a little bit of preliminary work that we have to do, okay? We have to understand this, this spiritual reality that's, that's going on. And it's this, okay? That one of the, the big themes in all of the gospels is this idea of the kingdom of God. All right, and the kingdom of God is, is mentioned a ton throughout the gospels, specifically in the gospel of Luke, it's mentioned around 35 times. And it's just this overwhelming theme that we see, the kingdom of God. But while it's such a big theme, guys, the, the average Christian might have a difficult time articulating what the kingdom of God is and, and how the kingdom of God works itself out in ordinary life. And so what I want to do before we jump into the Bible, I want to try and help us understand this a little bit more. And so I'll just start with a, a definition of what the kingdom of God is. All right, when we talk about the kingdom, all right, this is simply the place where, where God rules and reigns. All right, so when you see Jesus and you listen to Jesus throughout the Gospels talking about how the kingdom is here or the kingdom is near, what he means is that his rule and his reign is at hand, that he's in control. And, that, and then when you're, what we're going to see as we go through the Gospel of Luke, guys, we're going to watch the life and the ministry of Jesus, and we're going to get a practical, tangible picture of what God's kingdom actually looks like. And so this, this journey that we're taking on this year is gonna give us this really beautiful picture that hopefully by the end of, of this journey, by the end of this year, we look back and we say, okay, I'm understanding more of what this kingdom of God is all about. And I think it's helpful for us to think about the kingdom of God much in the same way that we think about a, a couple that's getting married. All right, and here's what I mean by that, okay? In 2007, I, I met my, my wife, Lisa, all right, and uh, it was kind of a love at first sight thing for me. It was kind of more of a coercing her that she should love me too, right? Okay, it's kind of one of those things, way above my, my pay grade that I'm at. Okay, but, but I, I saw her, we met each other, we, we started dating, um, and, and it was just an awesome, kind of awkward thing. That was like the first relationship that I ever been in as a Christian, and I was trying to do it right, and I was just incredibly awkward, okay? So guys, if you're awkward and you're dating, just come talk to me, and I'll tell you what not to do, Okay. When I, told, when I asked Lisa to be my girlfriend, all right, we didn't have like the talk of like, hey, will you date me? I looked at her and I was so nervous. I was like, I don't really know how to do this. Um, hey, when people ask me who you are, I just tell them you're my girlfriend. And she was like, okay, 
Cool, right? <laughs> that's, how we be, that's how we started dating, okay? So don't do that, okay? You salt students, do not do that. Awkward way to start off things, but it worked out. But uh, we, we dated for five or six months. We, we got engaged. Here's a, here's a picture of, I thought it'd be a fun thing to show you. Uh, we're going on 10 years this year. This is our engagement picture, the day that we were engaged in. And, you know, I, I think that day was just awesome, right? I, but although, like, that engagement the ask, the ring that I put on her finger, it was a symbol of the promise that, that we would be getting married, all right? You can look at that next, I put this next one in there just to, isn't that awkward? Right, it was just like the, the engagement photo, and so if any of you are photographers, like, don't tell people to, hey, look pensive out into the distance, right? This is like, this is like glamour shots by Deb or something like that, really, really, really weird, okay? But, uh, I put that ring on, on Lisa's finger. I asked her to, to marry me, all right? We had this promise that we were gonna get married. But while that day was awesome, and I still remember all the details of it, we weren't married yet, all right? We had the promise already, but we needed to wait for the wedding day, which was not yet. So here's the point, guys. It's like this with the kingdom of God, that it's been inaugurated it's been promised because Jesus has broken into human history and the gospel is available to all people, but it has not been consummated yet and brought to complete fruition until Jesus comes again. And this is a big, important reality that we need to know that, that forgiveness of sin is available through faith in Jesus, but sin is something that, that are, is very much part of our lives that we, we struggle with and we will and will live in the midst of sin until Jesus comes back and ends sin forever. The grace and the peace that's offered through faith in Jesus, we, we, we get that, we experience that, but we still live in a world of evil and suffering, that the kingdom has come, but it's still coming and we're waiting. We have a future hope that things are gonna be perfect as we wait for Jesus to come back. Now, here is why this is important, guys, okay? In Jesus' first sermon that we're about to look at, all right, he's gonna be proclaiming good news to, to poor people, to marginalized, to the sick, to captives. And while he's proclaiming this good news, all right, we need to know that, that it's an already but not yet type of good news. This is the kingdom of God. It's, it's already present, but it's not yet completely fulfilled. All right, that we're waiting for, for Jesus to come back and eradicate the world of evil, that we sit and we wait, but we don't just sit and wait stagnantly, that as a church, we work with Jesus, all right, to, to relieve suffering in our world as we wait for him, as Revelation 21 puts it, to come back and wipe every tear from our eye and eradicate evil forever. It's an already but not yet truth. And I wanna show you how this relates to what we're gonna see today, okay? So Luke chapter four, verse 17 is, is where we're gonna put, pick up Luke's account. And so what's going on is, is you have Luke, he was just baptized, all right? He's, he went out into the desert, or Jesus was, Luke was not baptized, Jesus was baptized, okay? He went into the desert, he was tempted Right, and he overcame those temptations. And after that temptation, and, and Satan left him and stopped tempting him, he now is going into a place called Galilee. And he goes into the synagogue, he steps into the synagogue where people go to preach and to listen to teachings. And here's what happens, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place it was written. Okay, so we'll pause there. Because Jesus, he, he enters this synagogue and he begins to give his, his first sermon, okay? And now what I want you to see is I want you to see something really profound here, okay? Luke says that, that Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place. And that might not seem overly significant, but I want you to, to know this is that while Jesus is, is fully God, he's also 
fully man. It's this reality that it's hard to wrap our head around, but it's a truth that we get in the Bible. But what this means, guys, is that Jesus humbled himself to identify with us and hear this, and he learned. All right, that Jesus didn't come out as a baby knowing everything. But just like all of us in, in Luke 2, 52, we see that Jesus grew in wisdom, in knowledge, in stature, that he devoted himself to studying the scriptures. And because of his discipline in this, he knew where the scripture was. They just handed him this scroll. All right, just this big, you've seen a scroll, maybe, I don't know if you've seen it, but you certainly know what a scroll is, right? But he had this scroll and he just unrolled it and he knew that so well that he knew where to go to find it. And, and it's important to know, guys, in these days, in a village, oftentimes there would only be one copy of the scriptures because before Johann Gutenberg, there were no printed Bibles. That scripture was, was written by hand on animal skins or leaves of papyrus. They were really expensive. People didn't have them just laying around. And so Jesus, who grew in wisdom and knowledge, he would have had to discipline himself to going to the synagogue or going to the temple and studying the scriptures. And when it's handed to him, he, he knew the place and he opened it up and he began to read. He knew God's word. Now guys, here's what the heck I'm getting at, okay? For us, if we hope to be like Jesus, which is the goal of the Christian, we need to learn how to study and to grow in wisdom and knowledge just like Jesus did. We need to read our Bible. We talk about this all the time, that we wanna be a go uh, Bible, gospel-saturated family, that if you prick us, we bleed Bible. Why? It's not so we can be super nerds and win like Bible trivia bowls, right? It's because we need this. That was supposed to be a joke. If you're getting a Bible trivia bowl, that's great, okay? But right, we, we need the Bible to figure out a life for God. Who God is, is he reveals himself and it, and it helps us, he speaks to us. And so even as we are encouraged to, is to get into the gospel of Luke, it's not just to learn, but we encounter the living God because his word is living and active and he speaks to us. The Bible is absolutely essential. And I would love it for our church, you know what I mean? If, if every time we got up here and said, hey, open your Bible, that you just had your Bible right there and it was worn down because you are all reading it so much. This, guys, is what we're talking about. Getting in the Bible. So let's go back. Verse 17, again. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is what Jesus is saying. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight of the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year, the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Jesus, he, he opens up this scroll. He's in the synagogue. People are listening to him teach. And what he does is he basically just unrolls this scroll to Isaiah. And he pulls from Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 61, which is a, an ancient prophecy about the coming Messiah, the Savior of the world, who would write all that's wrong in, in our world. And G Jesus just stands up and he begins to read. All right, and as we work through this today, there's going to be four really important things all right, that we're going to get about Jesus' mission uh, from this passage here. That's good news for all people. And this is what he says. Okay, Go back to verse 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim. I want you to circle proclaim in your Bible. All right, This is a big one. Proclaim good news to the poor. Because we need to know 
that the emphasis is on the word proclaim in this passage. And there's two things for us to, to see. And the first is that, is that Jesus came to proclaim that everything that Jesus is pointing to in this sermon involves speaking. All right? and, and while it's certainly true that Jesus healed sick and he gave sight to the blind and, and all of this stuff that pointed to his deity of who he actually was as God, Jesus' mission statement here in Luke 4 highlights the announcement of good news, the proclaiming of the gospel, that, that the gospel is available to all people. That's the title of this whole series because we want you to know that this is what it's all about for Jesus. It's the love of God for all people. This is what he is proclaiming, right? But it's important for us to know that, that Luke 4 really sets the tone for the mission of the church, us, here at Doxa. If you're wondering, okay, well, what does this mean for us here at Doxa? He's setting the tone for us that the center of our mission as a church should be the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. Because this is why we, we simply just choose to open up of the Bible and just go through a book. Because we're convicted and convinced that this is what we should be doing as a church. That the primary role of our church is just to open up the Bible and to preach Jesus. But it doesn't just stop there. Because what we see for Je in Jesus is about word and deed. All right, that as we preach the gospel, right, people start to believe the gospel and live out the gospel. And we work with God to relieve suffering in our world and, until God comes and completely eradicates suffering, sin, and evil. So it's this already but not yet type of, of kingdom. But Jesus says the first thing is that he's come pro to proclaim what? Good news to the poor. All right, this is, this is the first thing. Good news to the poor. And when you read through the Gospel of Luke, guys, you'll see that Luke highlights Jesus' ministry to the poor. Because the reality is, is, I don't know if you, you know this or not, but Jesus himself was poor. All right, his mother and his father were poor. His family, his, his hometown, they were just poor. And what he's talking about here is really two different things. Is that first, is that in this world, if you're poor, you're really at a distinct disadvantage. And some of us, you know, we're, we're more affluent and we don't worry about money and it's hard for us to even realize this because we're just, we're just white Americans living the American dream and, and we don't even know what the water that we're swimming in. But, but Jesus is pointing to this idea that, that if you're poor, there's just not access to, to certain medical care, to educational opportunities, to the same number of resources and opportunities that others have to, to better your life. And what, what Jesus is saying is that he's come to preach to these types of people that are on the outcast of society, right? And he's offering the same grace, the same salvation, the same love, the same forgiveness of sins to the rich and the poor. It goes back to this whole theme of it being for all people. That Jesus is saying that just because someone is physically poor, that doesn't mean that they're worth less, all right? And it, as we look at the life of Jesus, he consistently gave special care to those who are on the fringes of society to show them that they meant a lot to God and to help them relieve their hardship and their suffering. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we need to understand about this, guys, is it would be really wrong for us to, to think that Jesus is only speaking about people who are materialistically poor, all right? Because he's also speaking to people who are poor in spirit. And, and here's what this means, okay? Jesus, he, he had good news, all right, for people that were not just poor, but spiritually poor, that meaning that they realize their spiritual bankruptcy and they acknowledge their need for God. All right, so spiritually poor people are the ones that realize that I have a sin issue, that I'm broken, 
right? And, and maybe you've, you've come to like a connection group, you've, you've come around Doxa and you realize we, we talk about this a lot, right? About just being broken in, in, in sin and how we need Jesus. Why? It's because the good news comes for those who are poor in spirit. And I don't know if we're smart enough to just remember that. So we keep saying it, we're broken. We need Jesus. This is the gospel. And Jesus is saying, if you're poor in spirit, there's good news for you that you can be saved today. And this is the hope of the gospel, guys. That Jesus came to bring hope and help to those who are both physically poor and spiritually poor. And the way that we watch Jesus do this here in Luke 4 and throughout the rest of the gospel is through word and deed. That he proclaims the good news and then he demonstrates it by helping those who need it. Guys, and this is what we do. That because we're waiting for the consummation of the kingdom of God, where God will completely eradicate poverty. We just follow Jesus' example and we seek to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel and help the poor. And so I'll ask you this, guys. A really practical question is what would it look like for you to engage with this? All right, what would it look like for you to love the poor in our city? I mean, seriously, you, you walk down State Street. We do this all the time going from campus to, to the Capitol and, and I, where our office is, and I, and I think about this all the time, that rather than just walking down State Street and like getting annoyed and just passing by people, what would it look like for you to engage? Befriend, give, help, serve. What capacity? And I want you to know this, guys. No one needs to help everyone, but we should all be helping someone. All right, that you don't have to like engage with every single poor person or homeless person that, that you see on the street, but you should be engaging and trying to help in some way. This is the mission of God, to bring good news to the poor by proclaiming and demonstrating. Now let's keep going. The second thing that Jesus speaks to is this idea of those who are, who are captives. All right, and he does this, he's speaking about those who are enslaved. Enslaved to people and enslaved to sin. And in our world today, guys, I don't know how much you guys know about this, but in our world, there are millions of people that are physically enslaved who need liberation and justice because they belong to God. And I really believe that what Jesus is showing us here is that the church should be leading the way in this fight. And when it comes to slavery, guys, it wasn't just a terrible thing in American history, but it's still a terrible thing that's going on right now. The, the sex industry today is slavery, right? Prostitution is, is slavery. Pornography is, is slavery. For those people who, who look at porn or, or give money to strip clubs or whatever, you're contributing to modern-day slavery. And it's estimated today that, that over 30 million young, young women, listen to that, 30 million young women worldwide today are victims of human trafficking and slavery every single year, over 30 million. And what's even more alarming is that when we think about the city that we live in, authorities are saying that, that college cities, university cities are becoming hotbeds for people to pick up girls to put them into the human trafficking system. We live in a world that's saturated with slavery and we don't see it because oftentimes we're just concentrated on ourselves and Jesus says that he's come to do what? To do away with that. To proclaim liberty to these captives. Jesus wants captives released. He wants them set free. He wants battered and abused and neglected women to see justice. And as church, we need to be working with him to set people 
free. Now, let me pause and ask the question, okay, maybe you're feeling like, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing anything. I'm not helping poor people. I'm not, certainly not helping slavery end all this stuff. Like, what does that practically look like for me? I hope you're asking that question because I think this text demands it. But I, wanna, I want you to listen to the words of a man named Martin Niemöller. He was a pastor in, in Germany who survived the, the Dachau uh, concentration camp in World War II, and he's talking about the Nazis leading this camp. And this is what he says, and I think this will answer that question, how? In Germany, they came first for the communists, and I did not speak up because I wasn't a communist. They came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. They came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. Then they came for me, and by that time, there was no one left to speak up. Guys, how do we engage with Jesus' mission to set the captives free? You cannot remain silent. It's to speak up and to begin to take a step towards fighting for justice. And guys, here's the thing. I'm going to keep beating this drum. It's not that we all need to be doing everything. Right? It's not that you need to necessarily quit your career and go join a nonprofit that seeks to end human trafficking, but it's something about the, the Christian life that, that we should have a heart for this. Maybe it's just that you give to it. Maybe it's just that you talk about it to bring awareness. But this is what it would look like. You know, if the, if the church began to mobilize people and, and God's people weren't just on the sideline but actually got involved in the daily stuff of life to, to eradicate this stuff, this is when things begin to change. And the world begins to change because the church, the body of Christ, so many people doing something, helping someone, and everyone would benefit. Now, along with this, let me just add this. When we talk about slavery, I think that there is a, another type of captivity and slavery that can be self-inflicted. Right, that you and I can be self-inflicted slaves. All right, for, for some, drugs are a slave master. Others, porn is a slave master. Drinking is a slave master. Other people's opinion of you is a slave master. For some, it's food. Others, it's, it's greed and money. Those are slave masters that we choose and they rule over us and they control our lives. We make decisions based upon those. For me and my story, guys, it was, it was sex, it was drinking, it was drugs. That's who, who Rob Warren used to be. But I came to know Jesus. He kind of power washed my soul. He, he set me free from these things. But even now as a Christian, guys, I wish I could stand up here and say that I'm never captive to anything. But if I'm real, guys, I can fall into captivity so quickly. You know, for me, because of the insecurities that I have, like I can let people's words and thoughts about me hold me captive and literally change the way I think about myself, change the way that I think about God and keep me away from experiencing his love. I can so quickly snap into that. And I say this because I think all of us have that tendency because of the sin that's in our lives, that we all need freed from something, that there's, there's no one in here, guys, that, that is completely free from stuff. There's something in your life that is keeping you from Jesus. And so I'll ask you that, guys, is what is controlling your life right now? What do you need Jesus to set you free from? because he will and he wants to. We talked about this last week of how to do that. It's by God's word and by God's spirit. 
that he wants to set us free so you can be the man and the woman that he has created you to be. So let's keep going. The third thing that he shares is that he's come to bring recovering of the sight to the blind. Guys, and, and, I, and I love this. Like the, it's kind of confusing maybe a little bit, but when we look at Jesus' life throughout the Bible and through the witnesses that were around him, we actually see that he did bring sight to blind people, that he literally physically healed people and performed miracles. And I, and I really believe that he still does, right? And do we see this all the time? No, but have we seen this? Yeah, we, we've seen God do some crazy things and heal people's physical ailments. But, but I think what Jesus is, is pointing to is that, yes, he's gonna do this in a future, right? He's gonna eradicate the world of, of all suffering. But in the midst of this, there's gospel news and there's gospel-driven people that will help alleviate this suffering in our world. And as followers of Jesus, we pray and we speak and we work not only against poverty and captivity, but also against disease and suffering. And I think here is what this looks like, guys. It's not that, that church, the church, that's like, it's not that we should become a hospital, right? It's not that all of us, so we should open up a hospital and we should all become doctors. If that was the case, like, I'm kind of screwed. Not that smart, right? UW would not take me in. But that's, we should not become a hospital. But what we, this looks like, guys, is that some of you, you actually will become doctors. And you will become nurses. And you will be working to get rid of disease in our world. Some of you, you, you will give your, yourselves to, to visiting the sick and to bringing some type of, of comfort in their suffering. I love this. My grandfather did this for 50 years. That is, he was a, a millwright and a, and a welder. He had a heart for those suffering and he would go on weekends and in the evenings whenever he had time and just hang out with the people in nursing homes that were suffering. And just to bring gospel news and joy to their life. Some of you will seek faith and you will just pray for miraculous things to happen. But I want you to hear this. No one who follows Jesus should be indifferent to disability and disease. Because we don't need to do everything. But if God's church begins to do something, everything will change. Everything. And finally, this is what Jesus says. He says that he's come to set at liberty those who are oppressed. All right? and, and what he's talking about here is this oppression. I think this is just like those who are abused, beaten down, and just ruled over unjustly. This, this quite honestly makes me think about all the domestic violence issues that we hear about all the time. Um, it's, it's, it's the wives and the girlfriends that are just beat up by, by pathetic men trying to prove something. It's the kids who are neglected or abused physically, emotionally, sexually by older people. It's, it's everywhere and we hear it all the time and it's, guys, it's just disgust, disgusting. This is, this is oppression. I remember just a, a few months ago, Lisa and I were at the East Town Mall. Our kids were playing in the play area, and, and we saw this, this girl, Lisa saw this girl sitting on a bench across the way just crying, and she looked, like, she looked rough. And I remember Lisa was like, I should go check on her. And I was like, we're going to eat. Like, we can't, we can't do that. And, and this is what happens, right, when, when your pride and your selfishness gets in the way, right? You, you get in the way of, of God's mission. And I later had to repent of that, but she said, no way. Like, if there's something we need to do, it's this. And she walked over and she talked to this girl. And she's talking to this girl and the girl is like weeping and just talking about how the night before she had been raped by a, a group of guys. And there were four or five guys walking around the East Town Mall watching her. And she was scared for her life. 
and, and I remember, like, in that moment, thinking, like, what in the world? Like, you could just see the fear and the, and the, and the captivity and the oppression. And I just remember thinking about Jesus' words here, that this is oppression. And what we do as Christians is we step into that mess, and we help, and we bring hope. Guys, it's an action. This is what we do. While we wait for the kingdom of God to consummate everything and bring about eternity where there is no sin, where there is no suffering, we work with God through the power of the gospel to bring about goodness in our world. This is what the gospel does to people, guys. And this is what Jesus is, is all about. All right, look at verse 19. All right, he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And here's what I want you to see, okay? Jesus is quoting Isaiah 61 right here, all right? And he reveals a mystery about his coming, all right? That he reads Isaiah 61, and then he just kind of stops midway through, that he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, but then he stops. But I want you to look at Isaiah 61, verse two. This is what Isaiah says. He says, the, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor in the day of our vengeance of our God. Jesus doesn't mention anything about the vengeance of our God. And so why? Why didn't Jesus finish this sentence? Because the answer is, is that really this is, Jesus' coming was a, was a two-act story. In the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, they saw the story as a whole, not separated into two centuries, okay? And they anticipated salvation and judgment coming together, that for them, liberation in the day of vengeance was, was a one thing. It was gonna all happen at once. But when Jesus comes, he says, this is not the way it is. Look at John chapter 12. It's gonna come up here on the screen. Jesus says, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. It's this two-act thing that's happening. He who rejects me does not receive my sayings, has a judge. The word that I have spoken will be his judge on the last day. Guys, I want you to know that the first coming of Jesus ushered in a year of the Lord's favor, a year or a space of time for salvation and not judgment, that we live in a day of great grace and patience. And God has given that to us so that you can respond to him and find the answer to your sin, to find the answer to your eternity. And he has paused that judgment and that vengeance because of his great love for you, that you would respond. But there is gonna come a day where, where the prophecy of, of Isaiah 61 verse two is gonna come to fruition and there's gonna be a day, whether that's when your life ends physically or when Jesus comes back, where there's not gonna be a day of salvation anymore. And this demands a response. This is one of those things that you don't ever wanna preach about and hear about and stuff like this, but it's God's great love that he says, I've come to proclaim that there's salvation for all people. And he ends this as he's proclaiming all this in verse 20 and 21, this is what he says. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, I want you to circle that in verse 21, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Because everyone at this moment, this was like one of those moments that everything changed. They, they were hearing Jesus quote Isaiah, which they knew, and then all of a sudden, Jesus says, today, this has been fulfilled. And in that moment, guys, he's proclaiming himself. He's saying, I am God, and I'm gonna do all this stuff. 
here I am. I am the savior of the world. And then through the rest of chapter four, what he does is he then goes out and does it to prove that he is God. So he says it and then he shows it. And he says, I am God and all of this is happening. And this is a moment in time where everything changes. And so two things to, to end with us. Number one, verse 18 says this, that the spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus, right, to do all of these things. And I want you to know that when the spirit of the Lord is upon us, he empowers us to share in the ministry of Jesus. Romans 8, 11, Paul, he talks about how the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is living in you. All right, that if you are a Christian, not only should your life be marked by the mission of Jesus, but he has given you his spirit to empower you to live out that mission, to bring good to the world that we live in, in some tangible way, that he has empowered you to continue what he started. And the second thing is this, Jesus says one little word that fires me up here, and I love this. He says today, that all of this stuff starts today. Because it's not that you give your entire life to Jesus someday. You give Jesus your all today. It's not that you just give Jesus your sin someday, but you give Jesus your sin today. You don't just commit to reading the Bible as Jesus did someday, but today is that day. You don't determine that at some point in your future you're gonna start to care for the poor and the powerless, but that day is today, that today we start living like Jesus. Today we make a difference. Today we start being on mission with him. Today we start to bring God glory through the way that we live and good to those around us. It's about today. It's an action step. The gospel demands action. Coming to Jesus and living for and with Jesus. Guys, and if we actually do this, it's not just gonna be this. It's not gonna be, oh man, we got a great show and all this stuff. We're gonna be able to actually make a gospel dent in this world. And while we pray and wait and anticipate God coming back and eradicating all sin and evil, we'll start to see more and more glimpses of his goodness as we see more and more people respond to him. So I'm gonna pray for us that we would just, that Jesus would just let us do this. So pray with me. God, it's times like this where we open up your Bible and encounter your words and, and I'm just convicted of, man, this is your mission. This is what you've come to do and I've experienced you doing that. I've experienced you taking me, just a, a broken, messed up man who is spiritually poor and bankrupt, who I was captive to, to sin. I've seen you provide so many things for me and my family when it seemed like we had nothing left. I've seen you do all these things that you said and I've experienced your grace and your goodness and oftentimes I just walk around and don't do anything about that to the world around. And I'm just thankful that what Paul says in Romans 8, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that, that I don't need to stand here and, and feel bad for doing that, but all I need to do is just look to you and ask you to empower me to do something and God, I just ask that Doxa Church would be a church filled with people that would have your heart, that we would be filled with your spirit and empowered for your mission, and we would have the courage and the discipline to not only seek after you, but to live for you, to care for the poor and the powerless, all for the sake of your glory and the good of our city. We just ask this in Jesus' name.